Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Is the FBI engaging in retaliation against whistleblowers? That's the topic of a House hearing today as three former agents testify. We have the details and reaction. The Supreme Court makes a surprise ruling that's a big win for social media companies. The unanimous decision was even written by the High Court's strongest critic of big tech power. The mayor of New York says illegal immigrants have filled up half of the city's hotels. Meanwhile, Mississippi's governor sends National Guardsmen to the southern border. A former special ICE agent tells what he saw after the end of Title 42. The air defense systems that the U.S. supplied Ukraine are coming in handy. Russia launched an overnight missile attack, but Ukraine said it intercepted 29 of the 30 missiles. And a surge in THC intoxication in the workplace as more states legalize the drug. What are the risks and what's a fix? We bring expert commentary. Is the FBI retaliating against those who allege that the Bureau has been politically weaponized. Three former FBI agents tell their stories, but Democrats say they aren't credible. NTD's Melina Weiskopf was at the hearing today, and she brings us more details from Capitol Hill. Now, the point of this hearing was to probe the FBI, specifically to hear from three witnesses who all described what they believe to be personal attacks against them after they revealed what they deem as misconduct by the Bureau. In weaponized fashion, the FBI allowed me to accept orders to a new position halfway across the country. They allowed us to sell my family's home. Then, on my first day on the new assignment, they suspended me, rendering my family homeless. This government will crush you and your family if you try to expose the truth about things that they are doing that are wrong. In the parking lot of a school board meeting where the FBI sent you, you were taking down information regarding people's license plates. That's correct. Steve Friend had his security clearance revoked after objecting to the use of a SWAT team to arrest a January 6th protester. And Marcus Allen, another witness, also had his security clearance revoked after working on a January 6th related issue. Because I forwarded information to my superiors and others that questioned the official narrative of the events of January 6th. As a result, I was accused of promoting conspiratorial views. Democrats have accused Republicans of engaging in conspiracy theories, saying that these witnesses are not credible as whistleblowers. I asked a few Democrats why they're saying this. Here's what they told me. We don't make the determination whether someone's a whistleblower. They don't make the determination. The reason that they were fired is because they breached security codes. These are individuals who espouse um, views and opinions that were political. In, as federal agents, which is inappropriate. Republicans say this issue reaches further than just these three individuals, saying that it appears that big corporations worked with the FBI to provide personal bank information about everyday citizens who were here in Washington, D.C. around the time of January 6th of 2021. Here's how Congressman Bishop explains it. I don't know how many people are on that list, but it's maybe thousands of Americans. B of A is one of these two big to fail institutions. All of those people, unless, I mean, they just willy-nilly turned it over without any process from what we're being told. That's chilling. So what's the solution here? Some say that Congress needs to act to update whistleblower laws to provide more protections. 
that they can't be deprived of outside employment when their pay gets suspended, that their material possessions can't be seized, which is what happened in here to one of these guys. And this is sort of the goal, according to that select subcommittee report, as they consider potential legislative reforms to the top law enforcement agency. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. The Supreme Court just handed down a major decision on big tech and their liabilities. The justices ruled unanimously that Twitter can't be held liable for aiding terrorism when it hosted tweets by the terror group ISIS. In a second social media content case against Google, the high court declined to review in light of the Twitter decision. That case similarly involved ISIS posting videos on YouTube. In doing so, the justices left Section 230 unchanged. That's the law that shields tech companies from liability, regardless of content posted by users. Critics have said of social media, if social media is making content decisions and can censor or deplatform users, then it's not a public square and should be held legally responsible. The unanimous Twitter decision was written by Justice Clarence Thomas, who has been a notable critic of Section 230. He wrote that in this case, the plaintiffs hadn't shown that Twitter had a link to ISIS that would have required them to stop the terrorist organization from using the platform. Next, in New York City, illegal immigrants are occupying almost half of all hotel rooms. That's according to Mayor Eric Adams. Here's what he said in a press conference on Wednesday. Watch. I, I need everybody to wrap their heads around that for a moment. 4,200 people showed up in our city in one week with the already 65,000 that was here already and saying we need full care and shelter. Then we have 900 people a few days ago that came in one day. Adam said that the influx could cost the city more than $4 billion at a time when the Big Apple is already facing a major budget shortfall. Since last year, New York City has received at least 60,000 people, over 200 every day. That's about 3% of the total number crossings the border per day in the same time span. As summer approaches, business leaders are saying that the city's tourism could be in jeopardy if too many hotel rooms are taken. The Big Apple has been scrambling for solutions. The sanctuary city began to shelter illegal immigrants on public school grounds last week, but was immediately met with outrage from students and parents. So yesterday, officials moved them out of a Brooklyn school gym. As the crisis continues, Adam says that everything is being considered. And Mississippi is now saying it's sending some of its National Guard troops down to the border to help out. It's been one week since Title 42 ended. The Department of Homeland Security says it's seen a major drop in illegal crossings since the surge just before the rule ended. But not everyone's convinced. Earlier today, I spoke with Victor Avila, who's been down in El Paso, Texas. He's retired supervisory special agent with the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement and now a Republican candidate for Texas's 23rd Congressional District. Victor Avila, great to have you on again. Welcome back to our show. Thank you for having me back. Now, you've been busy. You've been down at the border recently. It's been one week since Title 42 ended. Plenty has been happening down there. There's been conflicting reports, of course, about what is happening. I'd love to get your on-the-ground take on the numbers. Now what they're doing is they're sending the, they're sending the buses across the wall, loading them up, and then sending them to a port of entry and 
bringing in the illegals, quote unquote, through a legal process, which is completely illegal, either through a parole, issuing them a notice to appear, or in some cases, no, no processing whatsoever. So that's where you get the Biden administration saying that all the numbers all, all of a sudden dropped drastically after Title 42. That's not true. We did have Biden sending troops down there. We've got troops coming from Mississippi. Do you see those two lots of troops behaving in different ways? You have, even within the National Guard itself, conflicting information. And as someone that came from the, the law enforcement uh, background, it, the messaging and the, the briefing that you get is very important. And if you have different people briefed with different missions, it really gets really chaotic down there. And so even Mississippi sending theirs, unless they would send them to repel the illegals, it's not going to change. I think at this point, it's, it really shouldn't be about parties. It shouldn't be partisan. It's really about defending our sovereignty. It's about defending our public safety and national security. Just last month in April, 16 individuals on the terror watch list were detected just in one month. 16. In the last two years, under a little over two years under this administration, we're close to 200. On the terror watch list, no-fly list, these are individuals directly related to some sort of terrorist-related activity, and they, they've, they've been coming in the country. So we know that at least 200 have been come, that we know that if we detected, how many have we not detected? Under this administration, there's been over 375,000 children. 375,000 children spread out through sponsors that we don't know. They've lost 86,000 of them. Have no idea where they went. These are children, and I could tell you because I've flown with them in airplanes many times with a child and an adult that is not their father. And it's an escort of a three or a four-year-old. And this is aiding and abetting this trafficking. And these children are put into forced labor conditions, uh, or the sex trade is horrific because that's my subject matter expertise. I rescued a lot of women and children when I was an agent. So I've worked these cases. Now they've gotten these organizations, the cartels, uh, through the NGOs, are making billions of dollars by moving these people into our country. Really needs to be talked about more out there in the open. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Victor. Avella. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis ready to announce his presidential run? He has yet to confirm that, but the latest guess is that it could happen as early as next week. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. Speculation has mounted that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is finally ready to announce his candidacy for president. Some expect an announcement in two weeks. Others say by next week. Now, the Florida governor is expected to announce his candidacy at a donor meeting in Miami on May 25th. Bloomberg reports that an invitation for the event says, following the briefing, the fund begins, making some invited donors believe they will start raising money for a DeSantis campaign. Federal election laws require DeSantis to announce he's running before contributions can be solicited, but DeSantis isn't ready to confirm the rumors. At a recent press conference in Sarasota, he didn't confirm an expected date to announce his candidacy, but he did tout his Florida success. And I think in Florida, we really showed what it takes uh, to not just win, win big, 
and then deliver big. His communications office also didn't respond to NTD's request for confirmation. Last week, DeSantis moved his political operation into a new office, and his press secretary, Brian Griffin, quit his job to pursue different ways to support the governor. The move and Griffin's resignation have been viewed as stepping stones to a 2024 run. Meanwhile, the governor's top opponent, former President Trump, is on the offense. In a recent interview with The Messenger, he responded to this comment by DeSantis. We must reject the culture of losing that has infected our party in recent years. Trump said Ron's not a winner because Ron, without me, wouldn't have won. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And DeSantis is responding after Disney changed its mind about building a new office complex in Florida. The entertainment giant announced today it's scrapping plans to build a new campus in the greater Orlando area. The project would have generated 2,000 white-collar jobs. In a memo, a spokesperson said changing business conditions are behind the decision. Disney is openly feuding with Florida governor at a time when the media industry is experiencing a challenging economic and advertising environment. Disney has had its share of financial disappointments, opting in recent months to reinstate retired CEO Bob Iger, lay off thousands of workers, and restructure several, several divisions. DeSantis commented on the decision saying, quote, given the company's financial straits, falling market cap, and declining stock price, it is unsurprising that they would restructure their business operations and cancel unsuccessful ventures. Amid growing threats from China and Russia, President Biden sits down with the Japanese Prime Minister while attending the G7 summit in Japan. NTD's Iris Tao brings us more. Good evening, Steph. President Biden is in Japan for the Group of Seven summit, and he does have a lot on his plate as Russia launched fresh attacks on Ukraine and as China has been selling warships close to Japan ahead of the summit. Meeting with the Japanese Prime Minister on Thursday, President Biden vowed to bolster allies and make the world safer. When our countries stand together, we stand stronger. And I believe the whole world is safer when we do. But as Western leaders gather in Japan, the Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping further demonstrates ambitions by holding a separate summit with Central Asian countries. The White House National Security Advisor says the leaders at G7 will come up with a more united approach to Beijing. You will see coming out of this summit alignment and convergence around um, the fundamental principles of our approach uh, to the People's Republic of China. And all this is unfolding as the debt ceiling crisis is looming at home. And President Biden is cutting his trip by half due to ongoing negotiations to avoid a national default. And on Thursday, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, for the first time, sounded pretty optimistic about reaching a deal soon. We're not there. We haven't agreed to anything yet, but I see the path that we could come to an agreement. And President Biden will return to Washington on Sunday. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Iris. Next, Russia launched a barrage of missiles at Ukraine last night, but Ukraine says its air defense systems intercepted all but one of them. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. 
Ukraine's air defense systems were put to the test on Wednesday night. Ukraine's military said Russia launched 30 missiles at Ukraine, including six of Russia's hypersonic missiles, which Russia touted as all but unstoppable. But Ukraine's military said it shot down 29 of the 30 missiles. At least one person was killed and two were injured. I talked to Rick Fisher, senior fellow at the International Assessment and Strategy Center, and I asked him how long can Ukraine keep up this level of defense? We don't know how many uh, Patriot Pac-3 missiles have been transferred to Ukraine, but uh, now that this has uh, begun as a form of American assistance, uh, uh, Ukraine, for some period, will be able to blunt the political and military impact of Russia's uh, terror uh, campaign uh, with missiles. The Patriot Pac-3 is an air defense system, which is also used by the United States military. And on Tuesday, the Russian military claimed to have destroyed one of those systems. The Pentagon gave an update a couple days later. What I can confirm is that one Patriot system was damaged, but it has now been fixed and is fully, fully back and operational. Fisher also explained that this sends a message to the Chinese Communist Party, who has been watching the war in Ukraine very closely. China uses a, a much larger variety of ballistic and land attack cruise missiles. Uh, but the Patriot Pac-3 is able to intercept almost all of them. And so the message that is being sent to China is that it's very essential initial missile barrages that it will use against Taiwan to try to gain air superiority, to try to shock uh, the, the Taiwan government, military, and, and the Taiwanese people, uh, is, is not a magic bullet for the People's Liberation Army. Ukraine is still planning to launch a long-awaited counteroffensive against Russian forces, and that could change the dynamics of the war. Jason Perry, NTD News. Up next, police in Maryland arrest former Biden administration official Sam Brinton. He made headlines last year after he was charged with stealing luggage from airport carousels. And more and more people are using THC at work. What are the risks as more states legalize the drug? Stay tuned to hear from an addiction treatment expert. Former Biden administration official Sam Brinton, who identifies as non-binary, has been arrested again. Police in Maryland took him into custody yesterday as a, quote, fugitive from justice. The Metropolitan Washington Airport's Authority Police said the arrest is in connection with the theft of luggage from Reagan National Airport in D.C. Montgomery County Police said Brinton is being held at their central processing unit in Maryland on a no-bond status awaiting an extradition hearing. Brinton is a former senior nuclear official at the Department of Energy. He made headlines last year after he was charged with stealing other people's luggage from airport carousels in Minnesota and Nevada. Turning to illegal drugs next, a veterinary drug dubbed the zombie drug, is making its way to streets of Los Angeles, California. 
and officials are now sounding the alarm. The drug is known as xylazine, and it's usually used in animal tranquilizers. But according to the DEA, when people use the drug, it can eat away at human flesh, stop you breathing, and reduce blood circulation. LA authorities recently launched a new program to track the substance in seized drugs. The program is expected to run for a month before officials consider their next steps. But Los Angeles isn't the only place dealing with increased use of the drug. The DEA in March warned that it's often mixed with fentanyl and has already reached 48 states. But it's not just these illegal drugs that are problematic. A growing number of Americans are testing positive for THC, the compound found in marijuana, while at work. And it's causing workplace accidents. To learn more about this and potential solutions, I spoke with an addiction treatment expert, Ben Court. He's the author of Weed, Inc. Ben Court, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, with you, there's a new report out saying that the number of Americans testing positive for marijuana while on the job has soared over the past quarter century. One of the most important things that your viewers can take away and remember with this subject is that we are not talking about cannabis. This is a, pro a conversation about concentrated THC products um, it, it incredibly unnatural um, amounts of THC. The reality is, um, in order to meet needs that employers have, a, a lot of them are foregoing or doing away with testing for THC. Um, and that in turn is allowing a lot of folks to um, show up on job sites in states of acute intoxication. And what are the impacts that we're looking at here on the employees, on the workplace, on people receiving these services that I imagine the ramifications are actually quite widespread. Absolutely all of the above. Um, the biggest concerns we have are in the truly safety sensitive environment. So places like construction sites, transportation, et cetera, because um, you've got about a three hour window post consumption where the acute effects are gonna be pretty severe. Things like um, loss of depth perception, loss of fine motor skills, gross motor skills, trouble building and forming memories. And so then they put the people around them at risk. Right, so this seems like it could present a whole range of mental health issues, legal issues. What are we looking at on the legal front? There are a couple of um, legal landmarks. There's um, Coates v. Dish. The U.S. Supreme Court failed to see it. It was a challenge to the Federal Drug-Free Workplace Act. So right now, you still have the employer being able to terminate for a positive test. I don't expect that to last a whole lot longer. With those products come very severe, persistent, and significant mental health problems. And now this rise in usage ha has affected many different sectors. <laughs> what do you think needs to happen to make workplaces work again? We need the ability for real-time testing of intoxication for THC in the same way that you've got a breathalyzer. Because the fat-soluble nature of THC, it's very hard to determine acute intoxication. Until that test exists, 
the rights of those of us who are not consuming supersede the privilege of those who choose to consume, both on the roadways and in the workforce. Um, and if you choose to consume, I don't think you can have any THC inside of your bloodstream. It's not a perfect solution, but it's better than the alternative. Ben Court, great to hear your insights on this. Thank you very much. And now on a lighter note, the first complete 3D visual of the Titanic shipwreck has been unveiled. Researchers are saying that this is the largest underwater scanning project in history. The model of the ill-fated ocean liner was created with data gathered by two submersibles named Romeo and Juliet. It took six weeks in the summer of 2022. Though the wreck has been filmed many times since its discovery in 1985, it's never been revealed in its entirety until now. Researchers say the scans didn't interfere with the wreck, and the team held a flower-laying ceremony in memory of the dead. Scientists are calling the project a game-changer, saying that it could completely rewrite our understanding of the 1912 disaster. And now for your sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with a major announcement from tennis star Rafael Nadal. That's right, Steph. 22-time Grand Slam champion Rafael Nadal announced today that he won't be participating in this month's French Open because of a lingering hip injury. Now, this is the same injury that seemed to slow him in a second-round loss at the Australian Open way back in January, and apparently it's pretty serious. He hasn't played since, and his training has been halted altogether in hopes of coming back. Nadal also added that his intention is that next year will be his last. The Spaniard, who's seen his ranking fall into 14th in the world, said, quote, I don't deserve to end my career like this in a press conference. Nadal has dominated at Roland Garros with 14 titles and a career record of 112 wins against just three losses, both tournament records. Last year, he became the oldest champion there at age 36 and did so despite chronic foot pain. This year's tournament will start on May 28th. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, more playoff action. First in the NBA, Game 2 between the Nuggets and Lakers after Denver took Game 1 behind Nikola Jokic's triple-double performance. And in the NHL, the Panthers and Hurricanes kick off the East Finals with Game 1 in Carolina. And finally, for you baseball fans, kind of a slow night. Just two games on, one of which, though, is a Cardinals-Dodgers matchup featuring 41-year-old Adam Wainwright who's the third oldest player in the game, starting on the mound for St. Louis. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.